So many things have ruined my childhood So I go online to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus Fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh -huh, uh -huh. Predators, uh -huh, uh -huh. Marvel, uh -huh, uh -huh. DC, uh -huh, uh -huh. maybe it doesn't all quite sting. Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Podcast Ruined My Childhood. I'm Phil Durasmo, and with me is Eric Walensky. Hey, folks. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm ready to boldly go where no one has gone before. We are, we are going to live long and prosper as we talk about Star Trek. One of my favorites. one of your favorites because um i am admittedly not a huge trek fan i i didn't ever really watch the the series i honestly think i've only seen one episode before we said we were going to do this and i did watch deep space nine a couple episodes of next generation never got into voyager you know just i didn't watch the tv shows i didn't watch the movies i was a star wars guy and when i was younger i was told you either like star wars or star trek and since i loved star wars I just didn't even try to get into Star Trek. So even like the Star Trek movies, I didn't start watching until the late 90s. Like, I think the first one I ever saw in the theaters was Insurrection. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. For me, Star Trek was is actually pretty new. I, I really got on the Star Trek train with J.J. Abrams 2009 Star Trek, which we will talk about at great length as we get into this podcast. But Eric, why don't we start with you telling us about some of your memories of the original show, uh, especially since you say you're a big Trek fan. The original show uh, aired uh, 67 to 69, went three seasons, and uh, I was not on this planet yet. So, <laughs> uh, but early 80s, Star Trek was on every Saturday night in reruns, and I've probably seen every episode at, at some point when I was younger, and uh, I liked it. It was it was kind of different because it really felt it felt old. I think it's the same way when you go back and watch like the old Doctor Who's. It's that mm -hmm. that kind of cheeky 50s, 60s feel of sci-fi. And uh, and of course, Star Trek was kind of a lark for the networks. It was something new. It, it was a little different. It went through a repilot actually right out mm -hmm. of the gates. The ship was originally commanded by Christopher Pike, and Kirk wasn't in it. And then the networks did not like that, so they had to reshoot it. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because the episode is called The Cage. And if you have anybody out there has Amazon Prime, uh, on Amazon Prime Video, they have the entire series for free. And I was able, once you told me about this last week, I was able to go and watch 
episode zero of The Cage and just see the difference between what the show became versus what they originally meant it to be. Yep. Also on Netflix. Oh. Anybody who's got Netflix, uh, yep, you get the whole series there too. But uh, but yeah, I, I I enjoyed it as a kid. It was it was different than what I was seeing on television because obviously it was filmed you know 15, 12, 15 years prior. So television had evolved a lot in that time. So this was like a little bit of a throwback, but it was also sci-fi interesting because Star Trek takes a look at the literal science fiction because it's it's everything you do in star trek is based in some form of reality it's not like star wars which would technically be more of a science fantasy right um so that's what that's what appealed to me and then of course uh the films came out and star trek 3 search for spock was the first film i saw in the theaters i had seen wrath of khan on hbo so i was familiar with that and then, uh, and then I've seen every other Star Trek film in the theater since uh, Star Trek Three. Wow. So you were definitely a fan. So I'm glad that you're on to talk about what's happened to the property from the beginning to to today. It's interesting. You were told that you had to be Star Trek or Star Wars. See, I guess that's you know rougher up there in New York, huh? It's like you're a Yankees fan or a Mets fan. <laughs> yeah. You know, you pick one. That's right. That's it. And same with Giants, Jets, Knicks, Nets. I mean, it's all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, the Midwest, we were all encompassing. It's like, nah, we'll accept everybody. You can like Star Trek if you want. Go ahead. Well, that Midwest sens- sensibility is uh, a lot different than the New York <laughs> hardships that we go through. It's it's interesting, though, that you bring up that, you know, it was on reruns for you on Saturday nights. You're you're only four years older than me, but um, that that difference in age created quite a gap in what we were able to watch, you know, in that time of our life. For sure. When it was on reruns in the 80s, I was probably, you know, five, six, seven, and you were almost a teenager. You know, you were getting close to being a teenager. Mm -hmm. So the things that we both were into were very different. So when I was watching G.I. Joe cartoons, you were also watching G.I. Joe cartoons, but also watching Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I wasn't even introduced to Star Trek until late 80s, early 90s. And I just didn't feel the need to to care. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I didn't feel the need to care no, about it. No, it's that generational gap. That's that's what it is. Yeah. And then it's the next generational gap. Yeah. <laughs> Even in those four years, like there was literally less television in those four years, so there was less things to rerun, less things to play, and and Star Trek. Uh, was just, I mean, I watched it Saturday nights, but I know like other networks would pick it up here and there. So your Star Trek was on quite, quite a bit. And especially with the popularity of the movies and it was kind of a a hot property there for a while. Uh, I only watched the next generation. I did not get into deep space nine or Voyager. Um, I didn't, I didn't get into those. I, my life got busy and I was watching less television then. So so I missed out on those. Yeah, and there's a whole plethora of new Star Trek um, series on now. There's Enterprise, there's Picard, there's there's a lot that um, CBS All Access has done to keep Star Trek alive. Uh, I don't have CBS All Access, so I can't speak to the quality of those shows, but um, I know that they're just trying to expand the mythology. Uh, but for me, going back, like I said, in the in the late 80s, early 90s, my first introduction to Star Trek was through 
one of the movies, and I it definitely was not Star Trek The Motion Picture. I did not see that, and I still don't think I've ever watched it all the way through. You don't need uh, to. Even to this day. Yeah. And that's what you told me when I said I was going to study up for this podcast. Uh, but I do remember seeing Wrath of Khan probably in the early 90s, and without having the episode that preceded it 15 years or, or in the canon 15 years in the past, uh, which is the episode Space Seed from the first season of Star Trek, I just didn't feel connected to any of the characters. And with that being one of my first introductions to the show and the movies, I just didn't really care. It was very slow-paced. I didn't like how the final battle was just between the two ships going through this hazy nebula, um, which I've read up on and now understand that they were trying to make it more of a cerebral movie and make it the battle of wits between two captains. And mm-hmm. it was more like a, sub, it was supposed to be like a submarine fight rather than a space, a starship fight, mm-hmm. you know, yep. it all makes sense. But for me at age 10 or 12 or however old I was when I saw it, it was pretty boring. And so that was why I think I didn't give it another chance for a while. See, I was high on, you know, the series. So any, you know, I, I was already mm-hmm. very familiar with Kirk, Spock and Uhura and everybody. So, so to see Star Trek, um, and I actually missed, uh, the motion picture as well. The first Star Trek movie, that one, I was still just a little too young when that came out. And I kind of skipped over that one started with Wrath mm-hmm. of Khan. And I, I thought it was great. And even at that age, I'm sure I'd seen space seed, but, I guess I never really made that deeper connection between the two, but, but I knew Kirk and I knew mm-hmm. Spock. So to me, that was interesting. I also like, and I might be skipping ahead just slightly, how Star Trek II, Star Trek Three, and Star Trek Four all kind of comprise a mini trilogy within a six-movie span because two, two three, and four right. are all connected and for movies to do that back then, that was there's very few franchises that had that had done that. I mean, you had The Godfather into Godfather Two, which was a direct continuation of the story, not just another sequel where you know, like Smokey and the Bandit, where oh, they're going to go on another Smokey and the Bandit adventure, which had nothing to do with any previous adventure. You had two, three, and four. You have Spock die in two. You go after him in three. And then on their way home from finishing that, they realize, oh, crap, we can't even get home because of that alien probe mm-hmm. and the whole thing with the whales. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is slightly silly, sure. But but watching Kirk and and crew interact with 1980s uh, Earth was just so funny to me. And 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 the whole bit with Spock and swearing like you use colorful language and he didn't get it. And so he's throwing in like dams and hells here and there where they just really <laughs> don't make sense. But, right. um, but to me, I, I just loved how they all connected. And, and then of course, five and six were again, just independent star Trek films that had nothing to do with any previous ones. And then none of the next generation films played off of each other either. They were all independent space adventures. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at the dates of when all these movies came out, and you're right. You know, 79 was the first Star Trek, the motion picture, mm-hmm. and 
you you talk about Godfather, Godfather Two. There was Star Wars, and then you know we didn't have Empire Strikes Back yet. But I, I bet the popularity of them continuing Empire Strikes Back forced them to make another movie in 1982 with Rathacon, and then continue their story on. Right. When we get into the new films, I, remind me I've got a, a great a great twist that I would have loved to have seen. <laughs> Well, so let's let's talk about though the the I don't want to jump to the new movies right now, but I do want to talk about the history of Star Trek and how they kept the canon really strong throughout the series and the movies. Um, aside from star dates, but that's a whole other story that I've learned about. But the bringing a character from the TV show into Wrath of Khan seems like such a big mm-hmm. deal at oh, the time, sure. you know, because you're making you're making movies for this epic silver screen uh, experience, and to bring a character that most people that would go see these movies might not even know existed in 1966 or probably in 67 at that point. Um, it seems it's kind of baffling, but it also gives to the lore of what the show meant to people. Sure, because there was no internet back then to. Like, you know, there was no quick access. Like you couldn't just, unless you owned it on VHS, which if you could even get the whole series on VHS, then you couldn't just go back and be like, oh, Khan, he was introduced in, in, in an episode. Mm -hmm. You, you couldn't, you couldn't do that unless it was written about in a, in a fanzine, which is really all you had back then. Right. Yeah. So I think it was a great move. Definitely a great move. And to make it. This this movie where, like I had already mentioned, it's a battle of wits. It's very different than any other sci-fi movie that had come out. To make it a very cerebral captain versus captain fight where there's no light swords. You know, there's not really using phasers that much. You know, they're shooting off mm-hmm. of their ships, but that's really all they can do in this chess match that they're playing with each other. And it's it blows my mind that Kirk and Khan don't meet face-to-face in the film. And that was done on purpose. Right. Yes. And, you know, the more I read about it, the more I understand why they did it, and the more I can appreciate what they were doing. Because the show was, like you said, trying to stick to true sci-fi elements of things that are built on real-world technology and real-world ideals. And um, and men. Right. And, the, and the pursuit of, the, uh, of, of bettering mankind which is using that technology, which is, which is the whole theme of Wrath of Khan is, is Kirk is getting older and, and it's his birthday and what's, what's going to happen. And he's an admiral now and where's his life going. And then, and then he runs into this old adversary that makes him be this captain again, the captain he was back when he and Khan first tangled and, uh, and the whole no-win scenario, Kirk has never faced it. The Kobayashi Maru. Mm-hmm. And here he has to face it. And just the themes are just so beautiful that that's why I think I, – I completely get what you're saying. I could see where as a kid, it, it's kind of a slower movie if you saw it when you were 12 or 13. You're expecting Star Trek space movie, and it's like, what? They're talking <laughs> <Yeah>. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> They're on this big view screen all the time. But now I appreciate Wrath of Khan even so much more now. And I think it, it's really stood up. Mm-hmm. 
the, the test of time because uh, they were playing during this whole downtime we've had Star Trek 2, 3, 1, 2, and 3 back to back to back and 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 the quality of 2 down to 3, 3 really seems like low budget thrown together whereas 2 really seems like it had a lot of thought behind mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Great dialogue, great great lines, great character development. I think that's why Wrath of Khan succeeds so well. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. After watching two, three, and four this past week to prepare for this, uh, I definitely am on board. Two, two, I think, is the most well done original film that they released, and that's hands down. Yeah, I don't think there's a Star Trek fan out there who would disagree and and claim any other movie. I'd say even into the next generation movies, mm-hmm. um, that's better. Arguably, depending on your particular brand of Star Trek, uh, there might be some who would look to the J.J. Abrams as a little bit better, but I, I wouldn't put any movie above uh, Star Trek II. Sure, sure. I, speaking of J.J., we can we can just phase right into that or, or beam ourselves into the next series of films that... <laughs> uh, beam ourselves we'll, in. We'll yes, beam ourselves into it. the next series of films that rewrite the history of Star Trek. And, you know, I, I rewatched Star Trek, Star Trek Into Darkness, and Star Trek Beyond this week, just so that I would remember the arc of these characters and, and really feel how they change the timeline and where they end up uh, in this new series of movies. And I remember when I went and saw Star Trek in 2009, although it looks like a really awesome Apple store, it is made for my movie sensibilities, my sci-fi movie sensibilities, which is, as I've already said, I like the Star Wars action. I like space battles. I like fighting. I like something that's going to keep me engaged while also helping me to understand characters and character development and see them go through an arc uh, in the film. And Star Trek, although it is lauded as a very poorly made Star Trek movie for Star Trek fans, I really love 2009 Star Trek. What are your thoughts on that film? Yep, exact same. See, I think a lot of Star Trek is it's the journey of self discovery. It's it's man against machine, or it's man against an, a new alien species and a and a new way of thinking, and not just immediately dismissing it. It's trying to integrate it and understand it and learn from it, and uh, not just a bang bang kind of shoot 'em up. It's 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 more about the spirit of, of mankind. So, so when I look at the old ones and I see that and you, and you look at the original wrath of Khan and, and star Trek three, even star Trek four, very little action in star Trek four, as far as bang, bang, shoot em ups. It's, it's a, it's a, it's another journey. I think JJ Abrams found the perfect balance of character development building honest-to-goodness relationships with the characters and throwing in a little bit of bang-bang shoot 'em up to make Star Trek a little more, quote, exciting than it, it might have originally started out. Yeah. So I think J.J. did a great job. Um, you spoke of the canon. They do keep the canon pretty good. They also kind of do a separate broken timeline. I like that element. It's a good way to go in a new direction without completely negating everything that came before it. And I like that they throw in their 
a a history of Kirk and Spock that you never really had in any other film or TV show to that point. Right. Yeah. The thing that I loved after watching a couple episodes of the original series and then watching the movies two, three, four, and then jumping to this series, I, I honestly feel like I was missing the character development of them getting to know each other and them getting to learn how each other will work on a, on a starship together. And this, this movie did a great job of showing us who these characters were, although their lives are different. The way that they act is a little different based on the new information we've gotten with this altered timeline. It still showed the essence of Kirk, which Chris Pine did an amazing job of getting mm-hmm. the essence of Kirk and who Spock was. I loved the flashback sequences to when they were kids. Mm-hmm. I loved that Hemsworth was George Kirk, and he died in battle on Kirk's birthday, on the day he was born, mm-hmm. which was – it was just such an interesting way to take the series to completely turn the characters on their heads to show that your destiny, although it's not set, you still can be the man you're meant to be. Mm-hmm. And I love I love that in the first movie. There's some really fun Easter eggs too in the Star Trek movie. They the the evil character played by Eric Bana, his name is Nemo in the movie, and he uses Centaurian bugs on Captain Pike when he takes Captain Pike aboard his ship. And the last time we saw Centaurian bugs was actually in Wrath of Khan, where Khan used Centaurian bugs on Chekhov and the captain that Chekhov was with. And it's, it's funny because I talk about how I like seeing the characters younger and see what has made Kirk Kirk in this timeline and what has made Spock Spock in this timeline. And it's funny because in 1968, Gene Roddenberry had actually asked for a prequel pitch to be made. And he, um, he had gotten some people together to pitch Academy Years and Star Trek The Beginning, which were two different attempts he made that never got off the ground. Wow. I... So it's interesting that J.J. Yeah, JJ came back and said, you know, we're going to go back and we're going to look at these characters as kids and these two main characters as kids. And then we're going to take them into the Academy and show how they get onto the Starship Enterprise. So I think that's great because the first Star Trek series is just like, hey, it's a, it's a it, you know, television wasn't as complex as it is today. There's there's not as much origin as, as a, it, it's just like, hey, they're on a ship spaceship and their comrades go like you did you didn't need to know like how did they meet or anything like that and that's fine so i think it's 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 an interesting concept to go back and tell that because it's new ground to be explored and and it's fresh even though you'll get some ruined my childhood folks out there complaining that yeah. we don't need to know how they met they're just friends we <laughs> yep. don't need to see that and yeah I mean, if you're going to go down that road, you don't need any of it. But, you don't need whales. <laughs> but it's fresh, and it's a great concept. And so I liked that they did all of the how, – how the gang got together. Mm-hmm. They gave people a little bit of a, a little more backstory than they ever had on the original show. So, Yeah, I'm glad you as a Trek fan appreciate that. That's, that's good totally. to hear. It's good to hear. Because – and I, I might be premature in this. I know we'll touch on it later. But if anything in our podcast, we discuss what ruined a childhood. I would say Star Trek, everything Star Trek has done 
that J.J. Abrams has added, I think has enhanced my childhood. Hmm. That's good to hear. That's really good to hear. I'm I'm very, very, very pro the new J.J. Abrams stuff. That's not to say I don't have a few problems with it. Sure. But <laughs> overall, I think it's it was a great direction to go in. And uh, gosh, if I may invoke Star Wars, why couldn't Abrams have done that for Star Wars? Right. I completely agree. Um, so another couple fun little facts that I think are very cool in this film is that they show the Kobayashi Maru training sequence that Kirk cheats with. Yes. Uh, and it's what I think is really interesting is that the scene of them on the Kobayashi Maru or, or them doing this training, Kobayashi Maru training, Chris Pine's character of Kirk is eating an apple during that whole sequence. And he's taking it very nonchalant. He doesn't look like he's taking it seriously, but he's just waiting for you know, the the rerouted code that he put in the system to take effect. Yep. But what's funny is that he's eating an apple, and in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, when Kirk is talking about the story of the Kobayashi Maru to Christy Alley's character, mm-hmm. when she just fails the Kobayashi Maru, um, he's eating an apple in that scene. And it's really interesting that J.J. Abrams did it because he must have done it um, subconsciously. Because he has said that the homage was accidental. Well, and also, if you remember in that scene, Kirk is also waiting for his plan to take effect of Spock. It's been one hour. Are you ready? Because he had talked in code to trick Khan and even tricked everybody that was with him who was listening to him. So that's why he and Kirstie Alley then have to later on, like, what do you mean? You know, if transmissions are being monitored, you talk in code. So again, yes, the eating of the apple while Chris Pine is waiting for his code to kick in and Kirk is waiting for his code to kick in. It's it's very, very neat because ultimately they're two different timelines. So it again kind of shows how even though they are on a different timeline, like you said, you become the man you were going to be they still have the same traits. Yep, yep. And I thought that was great. That all being said, I wish the Kobayashi Maru trick that Chris Pine pulls off wouldn't have been so blatant and telling. Like, he's sitting there, like, so cocky, and then just, like, fire phasers, hit the tractor beam, and da-da-da-da-da. You know, I'm let's like, not waste photons. Let's not waste torpedoes, he says. Yeah, I wish they would have like made it like he really played along and then somebody had to go, wait a minute, how did that happen? But he's just so confident, right. like a, a true cheater. I mean, come on. He's like throwing it in their face like, yeah, I rigged the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's where I think this this Kirk took a different path than the original timeline Kirk or prime timeline. They call it the prime um, because the prime Kirk, although he was cocky, he wouldn't have thrown it in the face, but this Kirk that grew up without a father and had a stepfather that he hated. And um, his mother was off planet working to make sure that she could provide for her son. Like all of that created this other character who always had to fend for himself and didn't really have a role model. Sure. So the fact that he is this cocky kind of plays into the character that he's been built to be in this timeline. I t- totally agree, and I totally get that, and I and I I know that was the point. I just wish they could have played it out like just a little longer, and then he could have been like 
super cocky about it because it yeah it it just really went in there like you know he's a gambler who already knows the boxer's going to take the fall and doesn't <laughs> pretend at all that he's surprised right you know you're right you're i, I right. just wish he would have just for that scene it would have feigned like oh what i didn't realize oh i don't know and then they're like he changed the code then he could have been i don't know that's a personal yeah. preference <laughs> sure sure makes sense Another really another cool fact is that Majel Roddenberry, which is Gene Roddenberry's wife, um, she worked on every series and every movie that was made up to this point. Her voice is the voice of the computer on the Enterprise, and this was her last film. She passed away in December of 2008, which was two weeks after she finished her dialogue for this movie. No kidding. Yeah. Her character is in The Cage Pilot the original pilot for the series, she's number one. And I don't know if you, you knew that, but I did not. Uh, she then, because the pilot was redone, she became another character on the original series, but that's where they met. They met on the, on the original series, Gene and Gene and Majel. Wow. I yeah. did not know. Pretty that. cool. Do you know who created the Klingon language? Uh, it was, James Doohan? Yes. Scott. I think I did read that, yeah. Scotty. Yeah. With help from some other people, but he uh, he created it. Yeah. And and he he kind of took it and ran with it. Like, they only needed a little, and he, like, did the whole shebang. Pretty interesting. Comparing Space Seed and Wrath of Khan, did you notice that Chekhov is not in the episode Space Seed. Yep. I also read some crazy theories from fans that say, oh, well, he must have been a security officer that got promoted later. So that's how Khan knew his face because he saw him on the Enterprise, even though he wasn't on, on the bridge yet. Right. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that because it, it, they go out of their way in Wrath of Khan to be like, I never forget a face. <laughs> Chekhov. And then he's like, and then I I'm, I can only assume that they go back to get the Botany Bay, put them on the Botany Bay, and then put Botany Bay on City Alpha 6. Mm-hmm. Because they're in the physical ship, but in the episode Space Seed, when Khan takes over the ship, they, they dis, disengage the tractor beam from it, and they just let it float away. Yeah. Yeah, they must have put them back on it. So it's interesting how, and this kind of like I was saying, back then they didn't really do as much uh they didn't really do their homework on continuity right and so they're just like yeah Chekhov can be in there and Khan can recognize him and Chekhov can recognize him and was Chekhov in Space Seed no it doesn't matter there's no internet (laughs) nobody's gonna fact check this (laughs) right (laughs) little do they know the Trekkies are out there here is one thing too and again it's it's Again, comparing, and I think it's really interesting how we've sort of evolved when it comes to continuity and and keeping things in line and what's canon and what's not. Because in my opinion, at the end of Space Seed, Khan and Kirk have kind of, they're not friends, but Kirk completely exonerates him in the trial and says, hey – we're going to take you and your crew, your crew of uh, superhumans, and put you on this planet. It's going to be rough. What do you think? And Khan is like, "Yeah, let's do this." And they're they're yeah. friends. They're there's, but then they have mutual respect, right? Not friends, but. Well, for sure. But then 
when Wrath of Khan starts, Khan is just angry. And and Chekhov is like, you know, Kirk treated you as his friend and you tried to murder him. Well, true, but then they made up. <laughs> right. And so it's like the way Space Seed leaves off, I don't know why Khan is so mad. I mean, I understand because he's like, they never came and checked up on me. They never did this. Right. But he is just like mad right from the get-go. Yeah. It makes sense in the fact that he's been marooned there for 15 years the planet next to them blew up and destroyed the planet they were on. So now they have to live right. basically in that ship. And the the little alien life forms that are on the, the Centurion, whatever they're called, the Centurion bugs, mm-hmm. murdered his wife, who we can only assume is the character that was in Space Seed. Right. Um, and so I I understand that he's just built up all this anger, but you're right. It does kind of come from a weird place. He just maybe he just needed someone to focus his anger on so that he could survive. Oh, totally. And possible. that was Kirk. Yeah, there's yeah. lots of theories there. Um, it, it's it's just there's interesting lines in Wrath of Khan where like Chekhov says mm-hmm. he he blames you for the death of his wife, and then Kirk is like, I know what he blames me for. And it's like, well, do you? Because <laughs> you were pretty cool about all this. You just never went back, which, you know, um, one last little tidbit on Space Seed. I thought this was really funny. The episode starts and the little parental guidance icon appears in the top left corner before the episode starts. And you know how mm-hmm. they'll put that up there and it'll say like strong language or, you know, drug references. Yeah. The two warnings underneath the parental guidance logo for the episode of Space Seed were sex, comma, fear. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what? And then there's absolutely no sex at all. (laughs) There's like old school dramatic effect soap opera close-ups of Khan and the historian when they're like doing their little romantic whatever, (laughs) but that's a little strong to say sex and fear. Hey kids, before you watch this, ask your parents if it's okay for you to see sex and fear. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty hilarious. (laughs) Uh, um, You know, a couple more notes about Rathacon that I forgot to bring up was that it's the title of the film. I don't know if you knew this, but it was originally just called Star Trek Two, and then they subtitled it Undiscovered Country. Oh, and it's it's funny that they they then changed it and used that title later because I guess they really liked the title, but they changed it to Revenge of Khan, and then changed it to Wrath when Star Wars was going under the Revenge of the Sith title. Yep, yep, and then of course they changed it to Return of the Jedi. I think it's a happy or accident. Revenge of the Jedi. I'm sorry. Revenge of the Jedi. Well, right. right. It was going to be Revenge of the Jedi. They changed it to Return of the Jedi. But then at that mm-hmm. point, Star Trek II had already come out as Wrath of Khan. But I'm glad right. that happened because I think Wrath of Khan has a much better ring than Revenge of Khan. Oh, for sure. I agree. There's not a whole lot of Wrath, but it does sound better. Yes. Uh, uh, so now that we're talking about Wrath of Khan again, I think we should jump to the movie that tried to parallel Wrath of Khan, which is J.J. Abrams' 
Star Trek Into Darkness, which has been voted the worst Star Trek film by Trekkie fans, even over Galaxy Quest, which is not even a Star Trek film. Oh, we, we can't even get into Galaxy Quest right now. I love Galaxy Quest. Oh, me too. Me too. But it's, it's funny that Trekkies would write in that Galaxy Quest when they would take like this survey that they supposedly took at, at a Trek convention. Uh, they wrote in Galaxy Quest over Into Darkness, which is very interesting to me. <laughs> so it's telling how the Trek fans, the true Trek fans, felt about J.J. taking Khan and shifting him 10 years in the future and making this still new Enterprise crew have to deal with him. What's my number one rule when it comes to sequels? Don't get too plotty. And the plots in this are coming at us from every different direction. And ultimately, I see why Star Trek fans hated this just in general. It's it's not even that they did anything really wrong with the characters, except maybe the whole calling Khan by a different name just to disguise that eventually he's Khan. The characters, I thought, were true enough to who they had started out as in the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek. But then the master, the overarching plot that General Marcus, Peter Weller, tried to instate was based on so many happenstances and coincidences that nobody could have ever predicted any of that would really happen. So I don't think it's a matter of characters not being good. It's just not a good story. Yeah, I'd I'd agree. So I think they did a good job with character development and the character arcs in this film, continuing them from 2009 Star Trek, because they are now a year into their duties on the Starship Enterprise, and the characters have grown in, in a way that you see that they're bonded. They all know each other a little bit better. They can bounce off each other a little bit better. But the story just takes them in so many wacky directions that it it loses its sense its sense of self. Oh, for sure. And the one of the hardest um pieces of criticism that this movie got was that they whitewashed the character of Khan and they never really gave us any of his backstory. You know, they didn't even talk about the Botany Bay. They just talked about how he had 72 crewmates that he put into tubes to try to save them. But he didn't say, they didn't even talk about like that he was a warlord that ran a quarter of the earth. They just talked a little bit about that he was just a superhuman. Right. And it it really cut, cut kind of the heart of who Khan was out of Khan. Well, they tried to mask and it. Benedict, they didn't want right. to tip their hand that Khan was in it for whatever reason. I don't know why they wanted to keep that a secret. So they named him something else that they were going after him. John then, Harrison. Yeah, John Harrison. And then later on it's revealed that I'm actually Khan and I'm actually this. And and like you were saying, just the directions that this went in, when Khan like went all Godfather three on that council room <laughs> and and Peter Weller managed to live and Kirk managed to live and then it's like, I want to go after him. It's like, okay, you know what? Yeah. And take these 72 missiles with you. And well, where did Khan go? Well, he went to Klingon space. Oh, well, we can't go risk starting a war. And then it's like, well, this is what he wanted in the first place was to restart a war. So that way you could make Starfleet a, a military, a military branch. branch. But, but how <laughs> 
he's lucky he survived the first attack. And then he just is like, he, he's lucky that Khan, because he didn't tell Khan to go to, to Klingon space. He didn't tell Khan right. to attack them. He didn't tell Khan to do any of that stuff. It would have made more sense if they were sort of working together. I mean, I know they were working together to use his technology, and then they sort of betrayed him, but it just mm. was not good writing. The plot was no. terrible. And it, it feels odd that you would, as Admiral Marcus, that you would take somebody out of hypersleep to help you militarize your your starships that the technology on those starships are 200 years better than they were when Khan was alive. Right. So what is he going to do? What is he what is he really helping with? Right. Exactly. Like even even in Space Seed when Khan wakes up, he tells Kirk, he's like, "Oh, do you have any technical manuals of your spaceship that I can read cuz I've been asleep mm-hmm. for a long time." And I thought that was hilarious. And Kirk is like, sure, strange alien that I don't know who you are. Read all about my ship. It's all available yep. here on the MedBay computer. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> McCoy will help you with the tapes. I'm like, really, Kirk? And then when they even get to the bridge, Spock is like, he seems real interested in the technical manuals. Yeah, he's down there reading them right now. And then they're surprised <laughs> when he takes over the starship. <laughs> I mean, I guess that has – that's – Maybe that's what they were going for in this is that you know who Khan was and that he learned about the ship so quickly that he could make modifications to it. So his his tactical mind worked really well that if Admiral Marcus gave him an idea or, or access to their records that he'd be able to take it further. Maybe I mean, I guess that's what you have to infer. Well, since we're starting a whole new timeline, why – not keep it simple stupid why not just redo space seed in into darkness why not have the first encounter again but do it in a more modern take and it's already in an alternate timeline have him discover khan have khan take over the enterprise and then have it a whole battle of wits on the enterprise different decks to different sections and basically expand on that original episode that would have been a brilliant second movie instead of the second movie being the wrath of khan it's the first meeting with khan again and then have khan survive and then heck movie four movie five then do a wrath of khan khan's back you know or just end him either way right but what an easy opportunity that was completely missed all of this other you could have you could have brought in the Klingons a little bit because the Klingons still are not really prominent in the new JJ Abrams no. storytelling yet. You no. you could have hinted at them a little bit and maybe foreshadowed uh Khan maybe at the end escapes and uh, you know, post credit scene, Khan wakes up and he's like, Where am I? And the Klingons find him this time. Mm-hmm. And then the Klingons are like, Oh, you're a smart superhuman. We have some use for you. Yeah. But that would have been great. But nobody actually. asked me. J.J. Abrams, <laughs> I'm not hard to find, J.J. has a real problem. He has a real problem not asking you. If he would have asked me, Star Trek Into Darkness would have been a Star Trek favorite. I can't guarantee it would have been better than Wrath of Khan. 
but I can guarantee it would not be at the bottom of the list. It would have been better than Space Seed, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm weary from 200 years of space sleep. Do you have some technical manuals that'll keep me awake? <laughs> uh, I so I do have a problem with the fact that Benedict Cumberbatch was given the role of Khan. I do think that that was a missed opportunity to have a person of color represented in Star Trek lore. Ricardo Montalban is a very well-known actor, very well-respected actor from that day. And we there are so many people that they could have got to play the character of Khan um, that would have made it at least parallel. Well, yeah, so that's, that's one, one issue that I have. I, I didn't particularly have an issue with that as much as just, I just didn't like the story at all. And I, I wasn't even really a Benedict Cumberbatch fan at that time. I don't think I'd seen anything he was in. He hadn't done Dr. Strange yet. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really wasn't very familiar with him at all, except every fan site that I was reading is Khan's going to be in it. Khan's going to be in it. And they're like, no, it's some guy named John Harrison. And it's like, yeah, but it's going to turn out to be Khan. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what I was like. Why not just make him Khan? Why, if this yeah. is supposed to be building hype, it's, 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 it's kind of hurting it. Well, it's interesting because this, into darkness was the most successful film in the entire series at the box office. So it did make more money than any other star Trek movie, even adjusted for inflation. It still made more. It's just been destroyed by Trek fans. Yeah. I remember when I watched that one in the theater and when he says, what's your real name or however the dialogue goes. And he says, I'm Khan. My name is Khan. There was an audible, like, couple people around me go hmm yeah like groaned yeah. at that like same in same in my theater too yeah and it was and i didn't really know Khan. i mean i knew wrath of khan i did never seen space seed but i was just i i in the theater i even thought like uh, they should have got somebody who looked more like khan it well and like i said they should have just done it completely different like yeah gone mm-hmm. for somebody who did look more like khan and just do space seed again Right. Set us up. You're already kind of yeah. didn't, I'm not going to say rewrote history with the first Star Trek, but they definitely gave us a new version of uh, of what we'd never seen before of Kirk and Spock meeting and everybody coming together. So why not, why not do a different version of Spacey, but similar? Yeah, the, the interesting thing about them finding Khan is that Admiral Marcus supposedly, because of what happened in the first movie, which this all makes complete sense. Like what they did to set up Khan being in the film makes sense. Just how they utilized him and made the story, like you said, more complicated didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But the reasoning that they found Khan and the SS Botany Bay earlier than when Kirk and the Enterprise came across him 10 years later in the prime timeline is because when Nemo's ship came through and Spock Future Spock, which we didn't even talk about, Future Spock, Prime Spock came through the black hole. They decided to expand their search for different uh, threats in the in the galaxy, and so Admiral Marcus found the Botany Bay and kept it secret. 
And so that's where this all came from. And I think that it's, that's a really smart way to say that they found him. And they, But they could have done that with the Enterprise, to your point. Mm-hmm. They could have been on a mission like we can't be surprised by things like Nemo and the black hole and you know mm-hmm. Spock. Ambassador Spock is helping us to realize more of the galaxy because he's here with us now. So we have to go out and search. Mm-hmm. Totally. But another thing, too, is I was watching the movie with my wife. She came in with maybe like 45 minutes left. And every time we'd get to a point where you think the movie is about to end, another something happens. Um, like they capture Khan and he tells you that Marcus is coming. And so Marcus comes and they fight. And you think that's all right. We're going to get to a point where it, the movie's going to end because they're going to get away out of it. But no, they have to go shoot across space and get into the ship. They have to use Khan to fight off everybody with Marcus. And so you think that's the end of the movie. And then Khan double crosses them. And then, he tries to wipe out the Enterprise, and you think the movie's going to end because they're going to defeat Khan. But then they do defeat the, the ship, the Vengeance, I think it's called, the USS Vengeance. And then it falls to Earth, and so now they're on Earth. And Kirk has to go and fix the warp core, which calls back to Wrath of Khan. But it's the reverse, right? Instead of Spock going in, it's Kirk, which doesn't make any sense. And we'll touch on that when we come back to it. But now the Vengeance tries to hit Starfleet Base in San Francisco. And... Once it crashes, Khan then gets out. And now they have to go and fight on a on a flying car. And the movie just keeps going and going yeah. and going. And every time we get to a point where you think it's going to end, yeah. it would keep going. And, and my wife would say, how much longer is left? Yeah. Oh, 20, 25 minutes. How much longer is left? Oh, 12 minutes. How much longer is left? Seven minutes. More, more endings than The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, because that was just too much unnecessary action, like all mm-hmm. of it. As you pointed out, and the the whole switcheroo, Kirk going into the warp core instead of Spock, except they'd already telegraphed how Kirk wasn't going to die because of right. the whole Khan's blood in the Tribble thing. Yeah. Well, they set it up right in the very beginning, too, not just the Tribble, but the girl. Well, the girl. The, the father helps blow up the Kelvin archives. Right. So they set that up. They set it up, but then they got a go back out of their way to remind you with the Tribble. Right, with the Tribble. Mm-hmm. And then, which Tribble, oh, that's a neat little Easter egg, but ultimately it, it just made it so obvious that, don't worry, Kirk's not going to die because of Khan's blood. And then, yeah. like, did we really think that, you know, Spock was just going to kill Khan and toss him off the flying transport or whatever? Like, we needed McCoy going, we need him alive! And Uhura's like, be me down. It's like, no, none of this is real drama. You know nothing's going to happen here. So earlier in the podcast, I asked you to remind me of of something that I thought would have been real cool. Eric, what's something you thought would be real cool? Well, (laughs) just for me, it would have saved this whole, like, obvious setup of the triple almost like a magic trick where they want you looking here like they're telling you right now this is what's going to happen he's going to use the khan's blood we've already seen it twice and like as a good magician he's already got his trick all ready to go because you've been looking over here and he takes you over here when kirk woke up in the med bay he should have looked around and been like wow where am i picard should have walked into the room and been like, you've been asleep for quite a while, son. And he's like, who are you? Kirk could have gone 
so far into the future and been part of the next generation because of a coma and Khan's blood, et cetera, et cetera, and twist. So you don't even see the <laughs> real ending of Into Darkness because now Kirk is 200 years in the future. And then, I don't know, you could do some silly time travel thing in the third one and get him back. But wouldn't that have been awesome if Picard would have been the one waking him up? Um, I'll let you think that would have been awesome. <laughs> It would have, like I said, saved this whole magic trick for me where we're like, the triple blood's going to save him. Khan's blood's going to save him. The little girl was saved. At least if Picard would have walked in the room, I would have been like, whoa, sweet. Like if Ray would have taken Kylo's hand in The Last Jedi, I would have been like, whoa, they're totally taking this in a new direction. I, I don't know. I think that we, like I said, I, I never really paid attention to the next generation. So that wouldn't have had any emotional impact to me. The emotional impact is that Kirk wakes up and now he's probably a bit of a superhuman and Spock is there. They're friends. They are going to continue on this journey together. Sure. Because we still have to get more of Kirk and Spock, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I understand. I just wanted something to blow me away when I'm sitting there watching McCoy stick a dead Tribble with Khan's blood. <laughs> Like, really? You don't have anything else to do right now? Like, really? <laughs> well, what do you think? He's he's a doctor and not a gunsman. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, like, the ship is crumbling around him, and they're in the middle of this <laughs> intense battle. They're going to cling on space, and he's just like, I'm going to be playing with my tribbles. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds real dirty. <laughs> so, Star Trek fans... Trekkies hated Into Darkness. I personally didn't love the con reveal. I thought that it was excessive and not done justice, considering what Space Seed and Wrath of Khan put forth for that character. But it definitely didn't ruin my childhood. No, didn't didn't ruin my childhood. Like I said, anything that Star Trek has done now, I think has enhanced the series. It's at least given us more... I would say overall quality content. I did not like Into Darkness the first time I saw it. I only seen it one other time. And uh, I liked it maybe slightly more, but still had so many problems with the plot. I just thought it was cool seeing Kirk being mentored by Pike yet again. Yeah. Um, I just wish that wouldn't have ended so abruptly with, with Pike's death. Yeah, everything happened so – it all was just like this chain of events that never would really play out, right? He's he's talked into becoming – or they talk Admiral Marcus into letting him become the first captain of Pike's ship yeah. and then Pike dies. So And, and Spock's captain that he's going to work for dies. So they have to put them both together on the Enterprise again and now Marcus thinks he's going to get rid of them by sending them away. And how does he destroy the warp core? That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. It's, it is so convoluted. Well, Carol Marcus is only introduced just yeah. to be a pawn. Yeah. Like literally her, her whole existence was just for a minor plot point later on in the film. And there was there that didn't develop any of the history behind between Kirk and Carol Marcus that that's hinted at in wrath of Khan. And you, again, we're on a new timeline. You give us something new, but all we really ended up seeing was just a they kind of smirk at each other at the end. Well, we saw a gratuitous uh, change in my clothes scene. Yeah, of course we did. 
It's JJ. I do think it's interesting in Star Trek Beyond, they had a line in one of the earlier drafts that Carol Marcus wasn't aboard the ship. Because if you remember at the end of Into Darkness, she says she wants to join the crew. And Kirk lets her join the crew for a five-year mission into space. So in Star Trek Beyond, in an earlier draft, Simon Pegg was one of the writers. And they wrote a line that Carol Marcus was gone off the Enterprise to start working on this little project called the Genesis Project. Mm. And that would have been a great line to keep in the film. I don't know why they would have cut that. Yeah. Because there's just no explanation as to why she's gone two and three quarters years right. into their mission. Oh, I agree. And that could have set up more in the future. You know, it could have set up a whole new movie that would have had maybe even, you know, Khan and his people get out of the cryo freeze. And it just would have set up more that you could have done with the Genesis Project. I agree. Yeah, but it, her presence is definitely missed in Beyond. It's heavily referenced in Into Darkness. Just her presence makes you think, oh, we're going to get to see this relationship. And then, yeah, poof, gone. Yeah. So speaking of Beyond, I've seen this movie once, and I I didn't really like it. And I know that almost sounds contrary to my earlier statements that the new stuff has helped Star Trek. It's enhanced it because I really think it has, but it's just my personal preference on these movies. It's, it's not even really the characters so much as it's just the stories are just taking us too far away from what Star Trek really is. And they, which is that, that human pursuit of self-discovery. And they try to bring that in beyond because Kirk is now three years into the mission and he's wondering what's it all about. And Spock is now thinking, well, Commander Spock has died, um, Prime Spock has died, and now he wants to go help the Vulcans. And he and Uhura have broken up because of uh, him wanting to leave Starfleet. And then Sulu goes home to his family. And it's like everybody's having these crises all at the same time which while i think it leads to good character development it's too much you can't have every character on the enterprise having a crisis all at once it's too (laughs) much to handle (laughs) yeah would you agree do you think that was a little too much or do you think that was about right because i i just think that for every single character all at once to to just be going through all of this mental anguish. On the one hand, sure, it makes sense. You're three years into a five-year mission. You might be at the halfway point and thinking, oh, boy. But on the other hand, for a movie, it's too much to focus on. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. I think that logically it makes sense, but for a film, it was too much to follow. And they they didn't make it a big deal with all the characters. They did just quick you know, quick snippets of Sulu saying he wanted to be with his family and then he's with his family. And, you know, the biggest plots were Spock wanting to join the Vulcans on New Vulcan and Kirk wanting to leave the Enterprise and go work at that new space station, which to me doesn't feel like it's going to give him what he's looking for because he's still going to be on a space station. You know, he trades a starship for a space station. What's the difference? Well, he'd also be— I guess it's more of a city. Well, and he would get a higher rank. Sure. But I don't think—thinking about it, I don't think it's giving him what he— Oh, no, it is. It's for for sure. And and that, again, kind of 
hints back to Wrath of Khan, which is when Spock flat out tells him it was a mistake for you to accept promotion. Your position is in the helm of a starship and uh, or it's a captain of a mm-hmm. starship. And so this sort of is reminiscent of that. Um, but but like I was saying, why not recreate Space Seed for Into Darkness and and call back to those kind of themes there? Why now try to, you know, kind of shoehorn them into this one, which ultimately beyond felt like to me just one big, longer Star Trek episode. Yeah, I think the other thing to to remember is that this isn't a J.J. film anymore. He left to go do um, The Force Awakens. And so Justin Lin of Fast and Furious fame directed this and Simon Pegg wrote, you know, along with another writer, wrote this film instead of the original Kirkman and Orsi, who wrote, Kurtzman, excuse me, Kurtzman and Orchie, who wrote the first two in this new timeline. So it's it's a bit different in that I think they wanted to make a smaller movie because their budget was obviously smaller because it wasn't the same name power of J.J. Abrams. It definitely felt more like what you'd get in an episode because they're on a planet and they're up against an alien race mm-hmm. and it turns out to not really be an alien race which convoluted it so one of the one of the issues trek fans trekkies had with jj's reboots was that it departed too much from what the series was all about which was them going and exploring new planets and meeting new new civilizations and so i think that simon pegg had the right idea of trying to build that into this story to make Trekkies happy since Simon Pegg is a Trekkie himself. Mm -hmm. But I just don't think it was broad enough to be a standalone movie storyline, if that makes sense. That's why I said, yeah, it it felt like just a longer episode. Yeah. What I do think is very interesting is that Simon Pegg, being the Trekkie that he is, he pulled back history from Star Trek into this film because there were the captain – Captain Edison, who the villain of the story, Crawl, turns out to be Captain Edison from that original starship that they find on this planet. Yep, the, Frank- the Franklin. Um, yep. The Franklin, which is actually funny because the Franklin ship is named after Justin Lin's father, Frank Lin. Oh, nice. But the Captain Edison is a character that they've, so I guess, referenced before in Star Trek lore. And the movie makes Captain Edison into a character who you hate because of what he's doing to the to the people with seemingly no motive to then finally at the end of the movie you get his motive and you see who he really is to hopefully understand and feel bad for him. Um, it just doesn't have the emotional impact. But I do like that Peg went back into Star Trek lore to bring this character to the, to the screen now. Beyond in bringing in the the Franklin with Captain Edison and you watch the whole movie only to find out that, oh my gosh, he'd been lost a hundred years ago and he was one of the first spaceships or whatever. And now he's back. Oh, that's also similar when you talk about Simon Pegg going into Star Trek lore to the motion picture where this thing called V'ger is wreaking havoc and the enterprise has to go find out what it wants and what it is 
And that also felt like a very long Star Trek episode, only to find out at the end that V'ger is actually the satellite Voyager that was launched forever ago in real Earth history and was just lost after all these years. Well, Voyager went out and did what it was supposed to do, which was collect all of this information, and then it became sentient to a degree. Mm -hmm. And then it's not until the very end of the movie that you find out, like, oh, this was one of us all along. It's the satellite Voyager. Well, now... Yeah, so now this movie sort of does the same thing, and it's like, oh, this was one of us all along. It was one of ours that went out into space, got lost, and got turned around, and now has come back to wreak destruction. So Mm -hmm. I like those parallels. I just, the same way Star Trek The Motion Picture feels like a very, very long episode, Beyond takes on that exact same tone, and and I think that's kind of why it, it kind of fails. It definitely didn't do well at, at the box office, um, and fans didn't love it. I, I I didn't like it, but I didn't hate it. I mean, c- kind of like Into Darkness. I just I didn't like it, but I didn't hate it because I do think that the actors that have been chosen to play the crew are perfect, perfect modern representations of the good old cast we kind of grew up with. So I love watching them as actors. They're they're great. It's just some of the script that they're given just is what I think fails them. So I was entertained watching Beyond because I like watching Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto and you know Simon Pegg and the rest. They're they're great. Um, but yeah. but just story wise, eh, I kind of felt let down. I agree completely. Everything was a happenstance for the sake of it being happenstance, like they land on this planet. Well, we never get any explanation as to how the crew became like this, how they changed. We do know that his original crew died and he was the only one left, Edison, and that he would somehow, he used the mining equipment on the planet to make starships or space you know mini spaceships that are drills that can damage other ships and then he brings those other ships down to the planet and then somehow makes those other races of aliens into his new crew but that's not really explained very well and then he also uses some of them to be his life energy so that he can survive i it, it's very poorly put together mm-hmm. yeah it's convoluted it's too much well and, and they could have just helped explain it in a couple lines but they just never really did that Mm -hmm. and if they if they had explained it i would be okay with it but i'm just left with a lot of questions as to how any of it worked and how he's lived for a hundred years on this planet and what you know how he was able to with his minimal crew how he created these ships that could fly and damage other ships and i i just Mm -hmm. it doesn't make a whole lot of sense no he had very similar motives to um, Admiral Marcus, which I thought was interesting. It was kind of a rehash. Admiral Marcus wanted to create a war because he wanted to become a tactician in, you know, in a war against the Klingons, mm-hmm. where Edison was in 
the original like Mako, I think it was called, which is one of the branches of the military. But when peace on Earth was created or was achieved, he became a starship captain, which is not what he wanted. So therefore, he wanted to create violence and war again. That was his whole point. <laughs> so it, it, it seemed like they were just rehashing Admiral Marcus, just doing it a little differently. But why not just bring the Klingons in? Like again, to this that is a great question. To this point, they they were a minor footnote in Into Darkness. They just showed up for a second there and got shot to blazes by Khan in a matter of minutes. Why not? It, it, all of these people who want to have war and want to have war, why not get the Klingons involved in this? Um, I mean, like I understand not wanting to start with the Klingons, you know, but. But even the Batman series didn't leave the Joker on the bench the first three movies, right? Right. You, you, everybody wants to see the Joker. Get him in there. All right. Christopher Nolan brought him in in the second act, which was perfect. But, yeah. you know, the Klingons, we're still 0 for 3 on a real Klingon experience here. Right. Uh, speaking of being 0 for 3, did you do the reading up on uh, a possible Star Trek, not Star Trek four, but a fourth Star Trek film. I did read up on what they had originally wanted to do, but they couldn't come to terms with Hemsworth and Pine. Correct. Pine walked away. So did Hemsworth. Pine came back. Then Quentin Tarantino got involved, but then yeah. Quentin Tarantino left to go do once upon a time in Hollywood. And as of, I believe November of 2019, there's nothing on the slate for any sort of Star Trek movie to happen, though it does sound like Pine and Quinto would be up for it, but there's just yeah. nothing in the books. Well, Zachary Quinto put, um, he added a fourth movie into his contract. So he's, he's ready to come back. And Pine, I don't know if he added a fourth movie, but he said he's ready to come back. I think that getting Hemsworth with the star, with the star power that Hemsworth is now would be a great get. But I don't know if it would make sense for them to do another time travel film after they did a time travel first film. But that was the plan, right? That they would go back in time and meet George Kirk. Right. Which was my idea for Into Darkness with Kirk going to Next Generation and then somehow getting back. He could have met his dad on the way back through the wormhole. <laughs> yep. Even a five-minute scene would have been great. Kind of like what they did with Ben and, and Han in Rise of Skywalker. Right. Even though I didn't like that, but you know, they did it. <laughs> I did not like that as a scene either, but but on the other hand, I, I, I liked it. <laughs> no hands of mine liked it, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> Star Trek right now is focused on bringing new episodic content. They have Picard. They are doing another – they have another show – that's going on CBS All Access. They have um, shorts that they've created. So they're really not looking and focusing on films right now. And maybe that's fine. Maybe we need a break. Maybe they'll do another soft reboot of the series. Or maybe we'll get all these characters back again. I, to be honest, would like to see a fourth movie. And I would love to see Klingons involved. Because I like this cast. I think that they embody, like you said, they embody the original characters for today's movie-going mm -hmm. audience. Yep. So I, I personally, none of this ruined my childhood because I didn't really care about Star Trek in my childhood, but I think I, I would agree with you that it builds on the lore and the fandom, uh, and I, I, would, I would want more. I agree. 
I, well, I have my problems with certain elements. I think the cast is perfect. Um, I, if they make a fourth, they make a fifth, they make a sixth, I'm going to show up for every single one of them because I just, I love the property. I love the actors. Same way I was less and less impressed with each Star Trek, the next generation movie that came out. I still showed up because I, you know, I've got a, a stake in what happens to those characters. I, I like them and, uh, and I'm definitely going to show up and it's, it's, it's been along with star Wars, uh, and I guess the Muppets too, been with me my entire life since, since I can remember watching television, star Trek was there. So, uh, I'd like to end my final thoughts here. I actually got to meet William Shatner last year he was doing a book tour and they were playing the wrath of Khan in the auditorium. And then afterwards he was doing an hour and a half Q and a session with the fans. And afterwards uh, you could get your picture taken with him. So um, it was a very, very brief meeting. It was a real quick uh, kind of buffet line photo op, but I did get to tell him like, Hey man, the great show, great movies. Glad you're doing what you're doing. He said, thanks and move on. So it was a great moment for me. I've got a, a nice little picture of it, but he ended his <laughs> Q and a session with this great story. When he was filming wrath of Khan, they were filming wherever they were filming was like two hours from where he lived. And he asked the producers if it was okay or the director or whoever, if it was okay, if he just wore his costumes home so that would save him time when he got to set that he didn't have to change and do all that stuff. And they said, sure, just take care of the costumes. He said, no problem. So one morning, it's 3.30 in the morning, and he's flying down. This would have been 1981, flying down the highway, California, doing at least 30, 40 over the speed limit. Because he, he had the costume on because he <laughs> probably left even later thinking, oh, I saved some time and drive like a maniac to get there. Well, he gets pulled over. The cop comes over and says, license and registration. And uh, he hands it to him and he looks at him and he, the cop says to him, he goes, where are you going this early in the morning, 30 miles over the speed limit? And William Shatner figures he's busted right now and he's wearing his space outfit. So he looks up at the officer <laughs> and says – I got to get to my spaceship. <laughs> the officer says, get out of the car. That's great. So he gets out of the car. He makes him stand there. The officer looks him up and down. He goes, you just wait right here. He goes back to his car and he's running. And Kirk, Kirk William Shatner is standing there. He thinks he's done now. He, he has no idea what's going to happen. And this is 1981. So his he hadn't even done TJ Hooker or any of his big roles yet. So he's not like it's not like pulling over a major celebrity at this point, you know, the, the bulk of his career was yet to come. Mm -hmm. So the officer comes back over and he hands him his license registration. He goes, drive safe, slow it down. And he walks back to his car and William Shatner says he just stood there stunned. He couldn't believe that he was getting out. of It's like 30 miles over the speed limit, 40 miles over the speed limit, whatever. And as the, and the officer didn't blink, didn't, didn't let on that he knew who he was in any way, shape, or form. The officer gets back to his car, and William Shatner says he's still standing there by his car, like totally amazed that he's not getting arrested. And before the officer gets back in his car, he holds up his hand, gives the Vulcan salute, and says, live long and prosper. <laughs> Got in his car and took off. <laughs> That's great. 
watching William Shatner tell that story was as good as any Star Trek movie I've ever seen. It was so fun and funny, and it was such an engaging experience. So that's my final thoughts on it, is uh, Star Trek oh, that's great. will uh, always always be a part of my life. Well, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. So, Eric, where can people find you? They can find me uh, on my other podcast, Everything, Anything, and Nothing Really. It's available on YouTube on Podbean, on iTunes, wherever podcasts are sold. And, of course, you can find me on Facebook, Eric Wilinski. You'll figure out how to spell it. <laughs> Will you? <laughs> Took me a couple years. Uh, for everybody looking to find me, I am on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Fildimo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O. And I also have had guest spots on uh, several podcasts on the Real Fans for Real Movies Network, Real Fans for Real Movies, Disorder, Every Disney Film in Order, Holy Batcast, and Grim Grinning Hosts, a podcast about theme parks. So thank you all for joining us, and we hope that this podcast didn't ruin your childhood. Live long and prosper. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. 